I heard a young man preaching from Ecclesiastes this week, and he was at exactly this point in working through Ecclesiastes. And he said, we have three more messages in Ecclesiastes. You do not. <laughs> it will take more than three messages to finish from here. Of course, you know that's not the guy I am, so... We're not in a hurry. We try to dig into God's Word. We try to profit from it, rightly interpret it in context. If you're new to Grace Church, our habit is to preach through books. That keeps me from riding hobby horses or anybody else who's preaching. It makes us preach what we'd like to preach and maybe what we wouldn't like to preach, what we understand well and what we don't understand well. We have to work at it. But um, we are working our way through Ecclesiastes and we are up to chapter 9 this morning. I'm going to read from... Uh, verse 16 of chapter 8 down through verse 10 of chapter 9. And then we're going to look at nine, chapter 9, 1 through 6 this morning. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. How much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out comprehensively, fully, right? Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the, the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten, their love and their hate, their envy, they have already perished forever. They have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Remember, this is looking at things from an under-the-sun perspective. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has approved what you do. That's where we're going to start next week. We won't get there this week. Let your garments always be, be always white, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. 
by the power of your Spirit, and we cry out for your blessing on your word as it goes forth. Lord Jesus, as Sam has prayed, speak to your church with a living voice through your word. Lord, empower me to preach your word truthfully, accurately. Help us to hear it as your word and love it and seek to live in its light. Lord, help us to believe you. Help us to trust you. Help us to love you. And therefore, help us to live for you with joy in the midst of a fallen, broken world that brings much suffering even to your people. Help us, Father, this morning. Grant us grace as we look into your word. Make us more like Jesus if we know you. Plant seeds of the gospel in those who don't, or even bring to faith, reap souls this morning. Grant repentance in faith. Accomplish all of your purpose. This is your word. We trust you to do what is in accord with your will. In Jesus' holy name, amen. One night I was dancing with a lady in black, wearing black silk gloves and a black silk hat. She looked at me longing with black velvet eyes. She gazed at me strange, all cunning and wise. I saw the flesh just fall off her bones. The eyes in her skull were burning like coals. Lord, have mercy, fire and brimstone. I was dancing with Mistress D. Lord, I was dancing, dancing, dancing so free. I was dancing, dancing, dancing so free. Oh, I was dancing, dancing. Listen to this. Lord, keep your hand off me. Again, from the big mouth of Mick Jagger. And the Rolling Stones, Dancing with Mistress D, or Mr. D is the title, um, and I hope you get there, to, he's talking about Mistress Death, or Mr. Death. All of us in one sense or another are dancing with Mr. D or with death. We will have to face its reality someday, and when we get to that day, I hope each and every one of our attitudes is not, Lord, keep your hands off of me. But Lord, in peace and confidence, may we say, into your hands, I commit my spirit. But until then, we each one have a certain number of days left under the sun. How do we best live out our days? How do we make the most of the time given to us? By knowing that we are truly in His hands. Even when life screams at us that we are not. The main thing I want you to see as we look at this text briefly is that since you, and I'm speaking, I want to clarify, I am speaking to the people of God this morning. There will be gospel benefit for those of you who are not trusting Christ this morning, but I'm speaking to God's people, when I say, since you are in the hand of God, the way I'll lay that out later, we're all in the hand of God in one sense. Since you are in the hand of God, trust Him with the mysteries of both life and death. 
Trust Him with the mysteries. First, in verses 1 to 3, since you are in the hand of God, trust Him with the mysteries of life. Look back at that. After Solomon has confessed again, we've seen this before, him basically saying, no matter how wise a man is, no matter how much work he puts into it, even if he doesn't sleep at all, he cannot completely figure out God in his ways. He's going to need faith. He's going to need trust. And then we pick it up in chapter 9 and seeing what he's laid to his heart, what he's examined, and he says this, how the righteous... Now, notice, if you're not careful, you'll read just righteous and the wicked because we're used to that contrast. But it doesn't say that here. It says, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. So he first speaks to the righteous. Who is that? God's people. Those people who are in covenant with Him, who are experiencing His grace. In our context, those of you who are in Christ Jesus. And growing in the wisdom we're getting from His Word that we might live rightly. And the first thing He says is, I, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. What is He saying? To be in the hand of someone is to be under their power and at their disposal. And in one sense, if you remember, um, you can remember this with people like David or others in the Old Testament asking God to give their enemies into their hands. Right? So in one sense, it's just to be under their power, under their control and at their disposal. They can do what they will with you. And certainly that's true of God. He is under, He is in control of all things. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He is on the throne. None can say to Him, what have you done? None can stop His will. I mean, you know, Nebuchadnezzar even learned that. We see that in Daniel. We see that in, in, in the New Testament as well, that He is sovereign. He is ruler. He's creator. And therefore, with a right to rule over His creation, and He does rule. He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass confessions say yet he doesn't violate the will of God he doesn't violate secondary causes and and on we could go God is sovereign he's in control that doesn't mean we're not responsible but nothing happens that God didn't see coming I had a, a preacher said one time that I heard you probably seen heard this if you've been around me very much but he said did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God He never learns anything. There's nothing for him to learn. He knows all. He's in control over all. All things are at his disposal. Listen to me. Whether or not you're trusting Christ this morning, you are in his hand. Every breath you take is a gift of grace to you. Don't presume upon them. Make the most of them. You will stand before him someday. See, Solomon's doing, he's continuing, wake up, he's shaking us. He rips off our rose-colored glasses and smashes them. He says, you know, this is not heaven, this is not your home. Look where you live, it's a fallen world, it's a broken world. But there above the sun is a God, and the end of the book clarifies this, and we've seen it through the book, that there will come a day when you will be judged by Him, so fear Him, trust Him, love Him, live for Him. Judgment's coming. Flee from the wrath of God to the only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are all, in one sense, in the hand of God. Under His power, 
at His disposal. We are creatures and He is the Creator. And listen, it doesn't really matter whether or not you believe that. Uh, Deep down, I know that you do. God tells me you do in His Word. There's enough evidence to hold you without excuse in the creation. You will stand before Him and answer Him to Him one day, no matter how hard you fight against Him or try to convince yourself that He doesn't exist. To be in the hand of God is to be under His power and at His disposal. But for the believer, there's a more precious thing. There's a more precious statement of being in the hand of God. Jesus said, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. They will follow me. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. And the Father, no one is able to snatch them out of His hand. So that's a statement of of provision and protection and care, security. If He's brought you to faith, He'll finish that work and take you all the way home. If you're trusting in Jesus, if He has really worked repentance and faith in your heart, those are gifts of grace. And if all your hope is in Jesus this morning, you're in His hand. The sovereign, almighty, all-encompassing, gracious, merciful hand of God. Wow. We're in Christ. We're hidden in Him. We're in union with Him. And have all of those blessings. So this is the comforting aspect. If you are trusting in Jesus this morning, you don't have to be afraid of being in the hand of God. Because He sacrificed His Son for you. And if He'll do that, what good thing will He withhold from you? Nothing. He is sovereign over your life. And He's going to shape you into the image of Christ. So you can rest in your Father's hand. If you are not in Christ this morning, if you're not trusting in Jesus, my advice would be to you, do not rest until you are. Because God's command, having given His Son, Christ died for our sins, He was buried, He was raised the third day, and God says since He's given His Son, He commands all people everywhere to repent. That's the way Paul preached in Acts chapter 17. He's not suggesting that if it fits into your plan someday that you repent. And trust Christ that you turn from self and going your own way to God and receive Christ as your Savior. Trusting in Him, rejoicing in Him, loving Him, following Him. He's not making a suggestion to you. That's a command of the Almighty God and I would be unfaithful to you if I didn't deliver it that way. I love you enough to tell you the truth. But He says the righteous and the wise and everybody else is implied But this is His people He's talking about primarily. And it's comforting to us that we're under His care and protection. And that no one can snatch us from His hand. But just because you're in the hand of the Father, in the hand of the Son, in spirit if you will, if you are in God's covenant, if you are in Christ trusting in Him, that doesn't mean that His goal is to always have you be comfortable. In fact, His goal is to stress you a lot of the time. Anti-Osteen coming out again. But it's true. Why else would He tell us to rejoice in our trials, in our troubles? Because He's in work, at work in them. Think of, a, think of yourself as a piece of rock and God as a sculpture. And the gospel, the chisel. He is chiseling everything away from us that doesn't look like Jesus. And sometimes that's going to hurt. 
But we can rest knowing that He is completely sovereign over everything that comes into our life. The pleasure and the pain, right? As long as it's in line, you know, not... He's just in... He's sovereign. He's in control. But that doesn't mean things will always be easy for us in this fallen world, under the sun, where we live now. In fact, Jesus is real enough with us. And I say this over and over because I need to hear it and you do too. In this world, you will have trouble. Why? It's a fallen world and rebellion against God. And you will experience some of the same misery those around you experience. You just won't do it without hope. And you won't do it alone. He says, the righteous and the wise, their deeds are in the hand of God. Now watch this. God didn't give us a crystal ball. Intentionally so. It would scare you half to death if he told you everything that was going to happen in your life from here on out. Promise me. I mean, I promise you. Promise me too. (laughs) That it would scare you to death. Look at this. Whether it is love or hate, whether you'll be loved or hated, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all since the same events or event happens. This is not just talking about death. It's all the hard things, right? It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. Now we've got that contrast going. To the good and to the evil. To the clean and to the unclean. To him who sacrifices and him who does not. Religious, non-religious. As as the good one is, so the sinner is. And he who swears an oath and him who shuns the oath. The same event. There's an evil under the sun. He knows it shouldn't be this way and it won't be again someday. But right now it is that the same event happens to all. If you just look from the outside on how things happen in this world, a lot of times you wouldn't be able to tell that God, whether God loves you or hates you. You're not looking through His Word. You're just looking on the events that happen. And you see Christians that die of cancer. You see Christians that their spouse abandons them. You see Christians that their house is stolen or their car breaks down or, you know, people are stealing houses these days. If you didn't know that, you need to look into that. They're stealing titles to houses and getting people kicked out of their own house. That's why I said stealing houses. I'm not bumping my head. Bad things happen to God's people. Notice I didn't say good people, although they are generally good people and bad people. None is good as far as measuring up to God's standard. But Solomon is saying, looking in this fallen world, looking from the outside, you might see a lot of times, not, not all the time, in general, there are blessings for the righteous and hardship on the wicked, but especially at the judgment and after, right? But in this world, a lot of times, that's what the psalmist struggled with. We've already seen Solomon struggle with this, is that it looks like, What should happen to the righteous is happening to the wicked, and what should happen to the wicked is happening to the righteous. And Solomon is saying, don't let that freak you out, because you're all in the hand of God, and He's accomplishing His purpose. Who's the potter and who's the clay? Another analogy, Romans 9. God is the potter, we're the clay. Sometimes when you are making a vessel, you have to stress it to get it to conform to to the shape that you're making out of that clay. This is homework. I don't have this in my notes, and this is a little rabbit, and I'll shoot it real quick. If you're not familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism, look it up. 
And this is your homework. Spend some time in question number one. That's all I'm going to say. Question number one summarizes the whole thing. But I promise you, you'll never read a more beautiful question and answer than question number one in the Heidelberg Catechism. It'll go right with this sermon. Okay, I'm back on track. God has not revealed everything to us about how our lives will be shaped. Let me tell you up front, if you're a brand new Christian, Christian, if you're a brand new Christian, most of your why questions will never be answered. God answers why with who? Him. Read Job. All the things Job was asking, God answered none of them. He just told him who he was. And you know what? That was enough for Job. He put his hand over his mouth. It's enough for us too. And in fact, you being a finite creature couldn't understand the infinite creator if he was to explain everything to you. Your eyes would quickly glaze over because you wouldn't get it. A lot of times we take things by faith. Knowing who God is, we know we can trust Him. And His Word tells us He is holy and righteous and pure and He never does evil. No one is treated unjustly. All is according to His Word and His justice and Christ is His Son who came to save us. We can trust Him, but He's not revealed everything about what He's going to do. In the world or in our lives, we have some things, but we don't have everything. But if we know Him, that is enough to trust Him with our pain. See, that's the hard part, isn't it? It's easy to trust Him with our, hey, our fun. It's hard to trust Him with our pain, isn't it? But the better we know Him, the more we'll trust Him with our pain. The more we'll walk through the darkness in confidence. The more we'll be able to say, I don't understand this, but I trust you. Yep. The judge of the earth will always do right. Don't ever say things like, it's not fair. Slap yourself in the mouth when you say that. You don't want fair. I promise you, you want grace. I promise you, you don't want fair. We say a lot of things when we're hurting that we don't really mean. But we should be careful what we say to people when we're hurting. There's times for things. And sometimes it's just good to cry with them and hug them. Wait till later for the counseling sometimes. But we won't understand it all. But do, we tr do you trust God with your pain? I didn't say, would you want it that way? I didn't say, do you understand why it happened? I didn't say any of that. Do you trust him with it? Jesus said, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. We'll never suffer like he did. And he trusted his father with it all. We can trust our father with it all. See, Solomon is giving us, as Dr. Shaw says, another warning against karma theology. If you do well, things will go well. How long have you been a Christian? You didn't say amen to that. I didn't hear it. If you do well, things will go well. And if things are going badly, you've done wrong. Congratulations. You've just, you've just graduated from the school of Job's counselors. It's not accredited in heaven. Sure, there would be no misery in the world if there wasn't sin. Death came through one man who sinned, and misery with it, 
and it won't be eradicated until the new heavens and the new earth. So in a general sense, all our suffering is due to sin, but all of your suffering is not directly due to your sin. Job suffered horribly. He was the most righteous man around. God was at work glorifying his name. Sin is universal, so death is universal. One of the messages of this text. Listen, sometimes our lives go in very painful directions. Very painful directions. And it's okay to recognize that. And it's okay to grieve about that. We just don't grieve as those who have no hope. But we're real. We grieve, right? And it's okay. But sometimes our lives, even God's people's lives in this fallen world, go in a difficult and painful and tearful direction. And you can't always figure out just by looking at that if God loves you or He hates you. I said this a thousand times. How do you know God loves you, child of God? The cross. That's how you know. Not because you feel it, not because your experiences say it, but that says it. God loved the world in this way that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Christ died for our sins. He he took the wrath due us. He took our hell upon Himself. He drank that cup dry. He went through the grave defeating death for us. He was raised for our justification. He's reigning and coming again. That's how you know God loves you. Because you're trusting in Jesus, because you wouldn't be trusting in Jesus if He didn't give that to you. Remember our memory verse. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. The whole grace by faith salvation is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast or woman. That's how you know God loves you. The cross will never change. That sacrifice will never go away. He will take you all the way home. But He's going to take you through both the mountaintop and the valley of the shadow of death. It will be easy times and hard times. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, although sometimes it will feel like He has. I'm just telling you, not every day for the Christian is mountaintop. Put it another way. Under the sun, our plan, our pain is in His plan. Just like Jesus. Can He bring life out of death? Can He bring victory out of suffering? Can He accomplish a great purpose through things that look dark and no hope? Yes. See, our side of life, the righteous and the wise, just looking on things from the outside, we don't know what's going to happen, and when it does, it doesn't look like, a a lot of times it doesn't look like this is the way it should go. For the believer... But God makes no mistakes. He is at work. And every stitch of every thread He sews into your life is making you more like Jesus. There's the old illustration. I've heard Cindy say it. I think Corey Ten Boom's poem, you know, the tapestry. You ever seen a beautiful tapestry? and Just a beautiful scene on a tapestry? What happens if you go around behind it and look at it? It's a hot mess. Threads and strings and stuff everywhere. But they were all put in exactly the right place to produce that beautiful result. Under the sun, under the sun, 
we're looking at the naughty side. That's why we have to walk by faith. Because looking at the naughty side of life, you see Christians struggle and suffer greatly. You see wicked people seem to have it all sometimes. And the threads, they don't look like they produce anything or mean anything. It just all seems to be random. Why, look at that. There is no God. It wouldn't look that way if there was. No, it looks that way because there is. Because from an eternal perspective, above the sun, when we look back at that tapestry, we're going to see a beautiful work of art out of each and every one of our lives. Everybody's tapestry will look exactly like Jesus. That's what he's up to. But Corey Tinboom, and it, read about her life, great suffering. Great suffering. She wrote this poem about the tapestry. Listen to what it says. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives his very best to those who leave the choice to him. Trust him with the mysteries of your life in this fallen world. Often it will surprise you. It will never surprise him. He is with you and for you and making a great work of art out of you because He has called you to yourself and rested you in His Son. You can know all things now must work for you and they work for you not to make you comfortable all the time. They work for you to make you like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great trainer, shaper, sculptor, and He's at work through everything to make you like Christ. Secondly, since you're in the hands of God, trust Him with the end of life. We'll look at this quickly. Look at what He says. He's just said about sin and madness, and I don't have time to go into that, but all evil is madness and rebellion against God, and it's, it's stupid. <laughs> but suffering is here because sin is here, and it'll be removed someday. Anyway, verse 4. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Trust God with the end of life, both for you and those you love. Remember, you're looking at the naughty side. But it, there's, there's hope for everybody living until they take their last breath. And when he says a living dog is better than a dead lion, listen, I know, and I'm the same way. My dog probably has it better than a lot of children. We, we treat our dogs like people, and they're not, but, but our dogs are precious and treasured and carried in pocketbooks and all kinds of crazy things. 
But a, a dog was the low, lowest of the totem pole. He was a scavenger. He was a dirty scavenger in that time. And the lion, the regal animal, right? But Solomon has said, a living dog's better than a dead lion. It's better to be still alive. See, the world is crazy. The world goes nuts. The world is fallen. A lot of times it looks like God's not in control and the righteous are suffering, but there's hope. Okay. All right. There's a lot implied here. The living have hope. There's universal suffering and death, but the living have hope. Remember the context. When we're studying a book, we don't just take that particular little unit out and treat it as though it was a poster. It's in a context. And we just saw, look back at verse 12 of chapter 8. Why do the living have hope? Well, because they fear the Lord. What does that mean? They've come to the place where they love and trust Him and He's promised to save them and He has them in His hand. You, righteous and growingly wise, you're in His hand. But even those who are not yet, as long as they live... There is hope. Verse, verse 12 of chapter 8. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. It will not be well with the wicked, it goes on. So the gospel's going forth today. Maybe you're not trusting Christ. The Bible would say that you are a sinner who needs a Savior. You are falling into the category of wicked right now. But He's calling on you to repent. So if you will repent and trust Jesus... There's hope even for you. Your sin's not bigger than Jesus' cross. Will you turn and trust Him? See, there's hope for us as long as we're taking breath. If we turn to Him. Look at the rest of this section. He who's joined with all the living has hope. A living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die. If you didn't know before today, you know today. You're going to die. It is appointed to man to never die. To die once, okay? No reincarnation. To die once and then the judgment. Wipes away a lot of things. That's Hebrews 9.27, but you also see it here. He says, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their envy, they're already perished forever. They have no more share. Remember, he's speaking under the sun. You see it at the end of that verse as well. Under the sun, looking on things, what we see. Once the dead die, they're dead. That's it. They're gone. No more. But as long as they're living, there's hope. Hope for what? Hope for repentance so that they too can be not just knowing as rebels that they're under the hand of God at His power, under His power and disposal, but that they are actually in His hands as His children. So if they will repent and trust Him, there's hope. If you won't, there's not. There is a God. There is hope for the repentant, for those who turn to fear the Lord, who trust Him, love Him, and obey Him out of the joy they have in Christ because of His gospel. What is the gospel? I say it again. Christ lived for us. He fulfilled the law. He provides a perfect righteousness that we don't have. He kept the law in thought, word, and deed. He deserved only blessing. But He took our guilt upon Himself, died to pay the penalty of our sin. All, every, Each and every one that was given to the Son by the Father in eternity past, their guilt was put on His Son. And He paid our penalty on the cross. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised the third day proving it's all true. Best provable fact in history if you don't use a double standard. Christ is risen. He is reigning. He is coming again. He died for our sins. Trust Him. And there's hope for you. Just like there was hope for me. 
If you, could have, if you had looked upon my life before I was 26 years old, you would have said, I don't think so. I know there's hope for most people, but hmm, I'm not sure about that one. Big sense of humor. Here I stand preaching the word. Praise God for his grace. Same for you. Your sin's not too great for him to save you. I don't care what you've done. You still have breath. There's hope. Don't use the breath he's given you against him. Use it to turn and cry out to him. Because there's hope for you as long as you are alive. And then that will be over once you pass from this earth. Notice it doesn't say anything about coming back again to get it right. Reincarnation is a lie. It's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. Will you take it seriously? Just a few points of application and I'm done. First one, I want you to really grasp hold of this and, and is God's sovereignty. Life is not out of control. It's under His control. Your pain is in the plan, but your pain in the kingdom sense of the, of the word is productive in that He will use it to make you more like Jesus. Even through tears then, you can rejoice in it, knowing that your Father is with you, for you and in control of all things. He's the master weaver. He's, he's the God. I, one of the, the scriptures I kept thinking of this week is Deuteronomy 29, 29. If you haven't memorized that, go do so. The secret things belong to God. That's most of the stuff we want answers for, right? But the things that are revealed belong to us and our children. Sufficient, all we need, that we may do His Commandments with joy, out of love and fear for Him. See, God is the master weaver. He's weaving the secret things, the threads, even the dark, black, gnarly ones together. Our side of the tapestry looks like a mess. But on His side, not a stitch is out of place. Trust Him with yesterday. See, some of y'all have a hard time trusting Him with yesterday. You're still carrying around the pain of yesterday. You still want him to explain everything about the pain of yesterday. And he's saying, here am I. This is who I am. I'm this for you. Trust me. And even if in eternity he may not give you all the why. But you won't care. When you're in his presence and basking in that, you won't care. All the questions you think you're going to ask, never call God the man upstairs. Please don't be irreverent like that. All the questions you think you're going to ask will just melt away in the glory of His presence. Trust Him with yesterday. Trust Him with today. You have everything you need today. No matter what you're going through, you have everything you need today to love, honor, glorify your God and rest and trust in Him. Trust Him to a tomorrow. He's sovereign. He's in control. Though you don't have a crystal ball, He sees all, knows all, does all well. Trust Him. Next four are about death. Number one, death is under God's control. He's sovereign over it. Every one of your days were written in his book before there was one, Psalm 139. Stop being afraid. If I don't do this, this, and this, I'm going to die early. You're not. Don't be foolish. 
But all of your days were written down before there was one. And even death is under His control. He's sovereign over it. He's sovereign over its time. He's sovereign over the way. And whatever the way is, His grace will be sufficient for you in that time. Think about martyrs in the early church who would plead with people not to pray for them so they could die for Jesus. Think of people being burned alive and the last thing they ever did was sing hymns to Christ. His grace will be sufficient. Don't be afraid. He's with you. What does He say? Why does He have to say all the time to us, fear not? Because we're scared. But but when we get our eyes and our hearts focused on Him, a lot of that will melt away. Number three, death death testifies to our greatest problem, sin. Death is universal because sin is universal. It started in the garden with Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. The day you eat of it, you shall die. It's progressed all the way down through history and it won't be gone until the new heavens and the new earth when He says He'll wipe every tear away and there'll be no more sin, death, suffering at that point. But it was defeated at the cross when Jesus took our judgment. If you won't trust Him, you'll have to take your own judgment. But please don't do that. You don't understand who you're toying with. Please repent and trust Jesus for salvation. But sin will be removed and it won't be present in the new heavens and the new earth. Hard to imagine, right? True. Four, death for the unbeliever leads to loss of hope. Just reiterating, only thing you have looked forward to if you won't have Christ is judgment and condemnation. Please repent and turn to Christ today. We are reformed. We trust in God's sovereignty. We believe in election and all of those things. If that doesn't break our heart, we're misusing our theology. And we need to have compassion for people who are lost. And retaking... He hasn't told us to figure out how many people are going to be saved. He said, preach the gospel to every creature. How are we doing? We can improve, right? Finally, number five, death for the believer is victory. Death for the believer is victory. New Testament. Soon as you die, presence of the Lord forever. Really, in his, more alive than you've ever been, ironically. In Christ's presence, set free from sin, set free from misery full and perfect faith and rejoicing and love for Christ. The moment the Christian passes from the earth, they are in the arms of Christ. And looking forward to the future resurrection when their body will get new bodies, resurrection body, and live with Him in the new heavens and the new earth forever. We're not going to float in clouds on clouds in heaven forever. We're not going to look like little fat babies floating on clouds. We're going to come back with Him, be enfleshed, be purified, be like Christ, glorified, and live in perfect environment 
as creation, as creatures, with our Creator forever. New heavens, new earth in which righteousness dwells. Death for the believer is victory. So we don't want to be dancing with death, just trying to enjoy life and ignore the realities and all of a sudden they come upon us. Instead of dancing with Mr. D, let's dance with our Lord. Let's rest in His love and grace. Then our cry won't be like the song, Lord, keep your hand off me. But it will be, Lord, keep your hand on me. Better yet, keep me in your hand, which He will. Into your hands, Lord Jesus Christ, I commit my spirit, my life, my hope, my joy, my all. Help me to love and glorify and enjoy you. If you don't know Jesus, today is the only day you can count on. Turn and trust in Him. And if you know Him, rest in His sovereignty over your life. I want to read a hymn to you and then I'm done. It's in that book. Whoa, they're all gone. Well, no, there's three left over there. God moves in a mysterious way. This is number 88 in the Songs of Grace. This was written by William Cowper, who had a very easy life with no trouble in it. You have not read his biography if you believe that. And suffered horribly with depression. And couldn't figure out all the ways of life, right? You know, but... He, and he had help from other Christians, he was rested in God and his sovereignty. Watch what he says in this hymn. God moves in a mysterious way to us. Mysterious to us. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, what you see under the sun, He hides a smiling face. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter. And he will make it plain. On his side of the tapestry, it's perfect. It's beautiful. We're like his son. Trust him. Rest in him. And live for him. To live is Christ. Lord, help us. That's easy for us to say. It's oftentimes very hard to do. But Lord Jesus, I pray that you would remain our purpose. That you would be the theme of our life. That we would be able to say with our confidence in our own hearts and be speaking truth to others when we say, for me, my life is defined by Christ. My life is about Christ and under Christ and for Christ and wrapped up in Him. And therefore, Him being my Savior. At exactly the right time that you have marked it out to die His game. 
Lord, I pray for those who are listening to me, maybe in a recording, maybe over the live stream, maybe here in this building, even our small children who are not trusting in you yet. I pray that you would be granting them repentance and faith. I pray that they would see their, that they are a sinner who falls short of perfect obedience to you, who falls short of your glory, that they would see that they need a Savior and they can't save, save themselves, and therefore they would turn their heart and their hope to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust and rest in Him. Work that in our children, work that in our adults, those of us who know you, refresh us in that. That Christ, you came to save sinners. You came to save us. You lived for us. You died for us. You were raised for us. You are reigning for us. You're coming again someday. Help us to trust you in the darkness. Help us to trust you in the pain. Help us not to forget you in the bright sunlight when things are easy. In other words, help us to trust you always, to grow in you always, to live for you always, to rest in the fact that we are in your hand and none can snatch us out. Work powerfully by your spirit with your word. Apply grace to our hearts that we might either come to faith and rest in grace or live in rest in grace and grow in grace. Help us, Lord, we look to you and trust in you. Help us to trust more. In Christ's name, amen. Stand with us. Let's sing one more song, Not In Me, before we go.